0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading is taken from Acts 2, first of all, the verses 22 to 24. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you Then we continue at verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and he has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Our text is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 16, the verses 8 to 11. I'll begin reading at verse 5. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor or the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then follow the words of our text. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no more. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of spectacular things happened on that day that the Lord fulfilled his promise and poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. You have, for instance, that spectacular thing of a a strange sound. It sounded like the rush of a mighty wind, but it wasn't the wind. No one's hats were blowing off, as I read somewhere. And... It looked as if there were flames of fire on the heads of 120 people or so, but no one's hair was actually getting scorched. It wasn't really fire. It looked as if they were tongues of fire. And then you have that strange speech. It's a bit like you're sitting in the United Nations and... You have a representative from, let's say, Brazil speaking, and all the delegates, they're sitting there with their little earphones in, and they they all hear that Spanish speech or Portuguese speech uh, translated simultaneously in their own language. And So here you have all those people in Jerusalem, many of them who had come to live in Jerusalem from the dispersion, spending the last years of their life in Jerusalem, And then to hear this multitude of 120 people speaking about the great deeds of the Lord in their own native language that they had learned when they were out in the dispersion. And then you have that sermon. This is about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we might have expected Peter to deliver a sermon on the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you who the Holy Spirit is. He's the third person of the Trinity, and together with the Father and the Son, he is true and eternal God, and so forth. He doesn't. He delivers a sermon on the Lord Jesus Christ. So obviously, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, and the Lord Jesus Christ are very intimately intrinsically connected, he delivers a great sermon on the life and the ministry of Jesus and about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension and exaltation to the right hand of his heavenly Father And not to forget that he speaks very movingly about the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized and you will receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the last section of Acts 2 is about that beautiful early church, that wonderful life of the early church that the Holy Spirit created people having so many things in common, and the Lord affirming their ministry with many signs and wonders, and the Lord adding daily to the church those who were being saved. A great day with many spectacular things happening. And it's good to ask ourselves what actually What actually is this all about, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? More precisely, what actually is new about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? As you compare it to the incarnation, the birth of God in Bethlehem, the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ his resurrection, and his ascension. What actually distinguishes what's happening in Acts 2 from those other redemptive historical events that preceded this majestic event on the day of Pentecost? And as you can see from the theme of my message for this afternoon, The new thing is that God continues his lawsuit with the world about who Jesus is. And that immediately reminds us, that little word continues, alerts our attention to the fact that God also already had a lawsuit with the world before the Holy Spirit was poured out. About the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was God's lawsuit with the people of Israel. And that in turn alerts our attention to the fact that that little word world, which is also a key word in John's Gospel, does not just refer to the Gentile world. It doesn't just refer to the world outside the church. It actually referred to the church. It referred to the religious Jewish people among whom Jesus ministered and preached and did so many mighty signs and wonders. And it's understandable that God, first of all, had a lawsuit with the Jewish people. The church of that day. You could also call the world, because Jesus was the promised Savior sent from God. Jesus was the one who had been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the one who was at work in the history of the world, in the history of the people of Israel, with the powers of life And restoration, why Jesus was God Almighty himself at work in the history of Israel. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And you say, where do you get this notion from about a lawsuit? Where does that come from? Well, if you want to know what's going on in the history of redemption, then one of the things that is good to do is to look at the end of the history. So what is the history of redemption all about? Well, God is going to bring all things together under one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. In a new heaven and a new earth. And all of history is heading towards that goal. I say all of history, but that should be qualified because not all people are going to be brought together under one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so not all the people of this world are going to inherit the new heaven and the new earth. Because there's going to be a day of judgment. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the judge on that day of judgment. And some will be standing on Jesus' right hand. The sheep and the goats will be standing on his left. And those on his left will not inherit the new heaven and the new earth. And so all of history is headed towards that goal. A new heaven and a new earth. But there's a day of judgment that will determine who will inherit the new heaven and the new earth. And So God has a lawsuit with the people of this world. He's been having that all the time. And especially with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, That lawsuit centers on the identity of Jesus, who Jesus is. Because all things are going to be brought together under him. And as John says so beautifully in chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the door into the new heaven and the new earth. He's the gate. Every human being who wants to inherit the new heaven and the new earth needs to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus Christ can give us forgiveness of sins. And only the Lord Jesus Christ can make us heirs to eternal life. And if you have a close look in the Gospel of John, you see this, this legal language Right in the gospel. It begins so beautifully about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word created everything because in the word was life and this life was the light of men and then all of a sudden John stops and he starts talking about there was a man who was sent from God. To bear witness to the light. See, there you have it. Witness. A legal term. Raised up by God. A witness in God's lawsuit with the world about who Jesus is. John the Baptist. In the other gospels, John had said, There's one coming after me, a stronger one, someone who is mightier than I. He's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Also there, he was bearing witness to who Jesus was. Because it is so important to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But also in the Gospel of John, he does that. He sees Jesus walking over there. And he says to his disciples, See, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. That's where you have to be. You have to follow that man. You have to surrender your life to him. He even said that he, I saw the Holy Spirit descend from heaven upon this Lamb of God bearing witness to Jesus as the only way back to the Father And others bear witness to Jesus as well. The disciples bear witness. Come, I found him. I found the Messiah. And the Samaritan woman sharing with the fellow townspeople of her town why this man has told me everything I've ever done. Could he perhaps be the Messiah, the promised Savior? anointed with the Holy Spirit, God himself at work in the history of Israel with the powers of life and restoration. And Jesus himself bears witness to who he is. Those seven I am sayings are all part of God's lawsuit with the world as to who Jesus is. I I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. You need to embrace me. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. Without me, you can do nothing. And then Jesus' miracles. You ever know that John... Notice that John always calls them signs. This was the first of Jesus' signs that he did in Cana when he changed the water into wine. A sign points. A sign says, this is such and such a road. This is the way that you follow to go to YVR. All of these miracles, all of these healings that Jesus did were signs in God's lawsuit with the world. Witnesses in God's lawsuit with the world, pointing to Jesus as Emmanuel, God himself at work in the history of the world with the powers of life and restoration. And then, you know, this lawsuit reaches a climax when Pilate sentences Jesus to death. That's right. A climax. It looks as if Jesus wasn't who other people said he was and who he himself said he was. Jesus dies the death of an accursed criminal. It looks as if God has lost his lawsuit with the world. So much for all those witnesses bearing witness to who Jesus is and was. Yet, and this is the paradox of the cross, what looked like a dismal failure in God's lawsuit with the world turned out to be a moment of glory. Jesus arose from the dead. Jesus ascended into heaven. And now... On the day of Pentecost, Jesus pours out the promised Holy Spirit. And the specific thing is here, that now in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, God continues his lawsuit with the world, confronting the world with Jesus' own claims. That's how much God loves the world. Once Jesus ascended into heaven, it, you know, technically speaking, he could have stopped there. God could have said, you know, I sent my son. He bore witness. They nailed him to the cross. They refused to acknowledge him for who he really was. Even after he arose from the dead, they came up with the silly thing about the disciples stole the body. Right? I'm going to stop. And God doesn't do that. He loves the world so much. He doesn't want the world to perish. He does not delight in the death of a sinner. He delights in the fact that a sinner repents and returns home to him. And so God pours out the Holy Spirit. More precisely, Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit. And he continues to confront the world with who he is. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete in John 16. It's translated as counselor in the NIV. It's translated as comforter in other translations. We use the New King James in our church. Not that it's any better. But it just so happens to have the translation helper. And that really is the most basic translation of Pericles. He's the helper. And that word Pericles comes from the legal world. He's someone who's called alongside of someone to help him in a legal case. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. He's God's helper. We can say maybe even he's Jesus' helper. He's Jesus' defense attorney. You know what a defense attorney does? He collects all the evidence in support of the case. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's collecting all the evidence and he presents the court, as it were, with the evidence that Jesus really is who he said he was. But the Holy Spirit is also the prosecutor. He's busy prosecuting the world as well. He's busy gathering evidence. The Spirit, He searches the deep things of God. The Spirit knows what is in the mind of God, and God knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit knows what is in your spirit. He knows what is in my spirit. He knows what we do with the evidence as to who Jesus really is why we don't believe the evidence and so the spirit has this twofold function of defense attorney and the prosecutor and according to our text the main function of the holy spirit here is he uses the word there to convict He's going to convict the world of sin. And again, the original, the word for convict has legal overtones. So we know about that this is all about a lawsuit, not only from the fact that all of history is heading towards a new heaven and a new earth, before which there's going to be a day of judgment. We know it from that, but we also know it from this legal language. Witness, convicting Spirit's going to convict the world of guilt. First in regard to sin. When you read that, you think, well, the Spirit's going to convict people of the fact that they shouldn't steal. That they shouldn't commit adultery. Shouldn't covet. But look closely what our text says. What is the most basic sin? That the Holy Spirit as God's defense attorney, Jesus' defense attorney is going to convict the people of that they haven't believed in Jesus. That's what it's all about. You need to believe in Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit is going to change people's way of thinking. The metanoia is going to change their way of thinking. And he's going to change their way of acting. And we see that happening on the day of Pentecost. We see the Holy Spirit at work as Jesus' defense attorney when Peter gets up. And he delivers that beautiful sermon about who Jesus is. He was a man accredited by God with many signs and wonders. And even though you guys crucified him, you know, death could not hold him. But God raised him up again and he exalted him at his right hand. That's all marshalling the evidence about who Jesus is. And Peter is just putting this right in the people's face. That's who he is. While Jesus himself is physically in heaven. Okay? And then the people, they are cut to the heart. It's a word that is used for being stabbed with a knife. Imagine how that feels if you're stabbed with a knife. I've never had that feeling. It's got to be awful. Or imagine if you hear a real shocking, real shocking news. And emotionally and psychologically, it can just kind of stab you. It can numb you. So that you're in a state of shock. That's what these people are. After Peter's sermon. And they cry out. What must we do? It's the Holy Spirit. Bearing witness to Jesus. And convicting the world. And the world here are Jews. Are religious Jews. Who go to the temple in the morning and in the Evening. And they bring their sacrifices. The Holy Spirit is convicting those people of their sin. Of not having believed in Jesus. In fact perhaps of having participated in his crucifixion. He tells them just repent people. Repent. Change your minds. And be baptized. And you will receive forgiveness of your sins. And the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a, what a powerful working of God. Bearing witness to Jesus in his lawsuit with the world about who Jesus really is. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. He will also convict the world with regard to righteousness. Another word could be justice. And you say, what in the world is that about? Convicting the world with regard to righteousness. Well, remember what I said. It looked like God had lost the lawsuit. And after Jesus arose from the dead, that nasty rumor spread that his disciples had stolen the body. So even after Jesus had arisen from the dead, it still looked like, in the eyes of many people, that God had lost his lawsuit with the world. But now on this day of Pentecost, they hear this strange sound, as is of a, of a wind, a mighty wind. But it wasn't a wind. And this strange sight of flames as a fire. And this strange speech. And they say, what is this? Well, this is God convicting the world of righteousness. Look at verse 33 and verse 36 of Acts 2. Having arisen from the dead, verse 33, he receives from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, Which you now see and hear. This is about the father vindicating Jesus. This is about the father giving Jesus justice. In the face of the injustice. That Jesus had received. With his death. And all the opposition he had received. Before he died. He really is who he said he was. This the strange sound and the strange sight is evidence of that fact. And verse 36, exalted at the right hand of the Father, the Father made him both Lord and Christ. You're asking what this sign is about and this sound is about and this strange speech is about. This is about righteousness. This is about the Father giving His Son justice, His due reward. This is about the Holy Spirit, as Jesus' defense attorney, continuing to confront the world with the claims of Jesus, the claims that Jesus Himself made while He was still alive here on this world, on this earth, and these claims continue to be made after Jesus ascended into heaven. And he will convict the world, last but not least, of judgment. Not in the first place the day of judgment at the end of history. You look closely at the words of our text, and you see that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of judgment Because the prince or the ruler of this world stands condemned. Jesus had said that already before he died. He says, now the ruler of this world will be condemned. He'll be thrown out. What looked like a, a dismal failure on Calvary's cross was paradoxically a huge success. The devil's head was bruised. He was mortally wounded. He is now in principle a defeated enemy. And the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And throughout these whole last days of the New Testament church. The Holy Spirit will continue to convict the world. That this judgment has taken place. That the devil is losing. Not winning. And you see this on the day of Pentecost. About 3,000 people. 3,000 people whom the prince of this world had deceived. Into not believing the claims of Jesus. 3,000 people who were held captive by the devil. In the realm of darkness. 3,000 people are taken out of the realm of darkness. And placed into the realm of the light. A demonstration. That the Holy Spirit. As God's defense attorney. Jesus defense attorney. Is convicting the world. That the devil is on the losing end. He has already been judged with Jesus' death on Calvary's cross. Eyes are going open. The doors of prisons are going open, spiritual prisons. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit as the prosecutor is also collecting evidence Why only 3,000? Why not 5,000? Why don't all the people believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Defense attorney and the prosecutor. And that evidence will be used on the great day of judgment. In our defense or against us. The Holy Spirit as our prosecutor. And now you say, now, why is this written in John? Why did Jesus actually say this to his disciples? And why does Luke, by extension, actually record this in chapter 2, this fulfillment of what Jesus talked about in John 16? He does that, first of all, as a word of comfort. Jesus is going to say to his disciples a few chapters later on, actually, he's going to do this. He's going to go, he's going to breathe on them, and he's going to say, receive the Holy Spirit. A little prophetic action of what would take place on the great day of Pentecost. And just prior to breathing on his apostles, he had said, As the Father has sent me into the world, so I send you into the world. And in Acts 1, he had said to his disciples, You shall be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. This this is a word of comfort. To the apostles. A word of comfort to the church. That the Holy Spirit goes ahead of them. It's all by God's grace. You don't have to do this by yourself. In fact, your task as being witnesses to Jesus. Jesus is saying to his apostles. And Luke is implying by what he's writing here. Your task really is all about participating. Participating in the great work of the Holy Spirit as Jesus' defense attorney in bearing witness to who Jesus is. That's why the Apostle Paul often writes about keep in step with the Spirit. Spirit is busy bearing witness. Now, you keep in step with the Spirit and bear witness together with the Spirit. Spirit. To who Jesus really is. And as it was a word of comfort. To the disciples. So it's a word of comfort to me. And to you. And to the church of all ages. Bearing witness is not about us first. It's about the spirit first of all. And it's about keeping in step. With the Holy Spirit. And then this command that Jesus had given about, you shall be my witnesses to the end of the earth. How in the world is that ever going to be fulfilled? That there's going to be a worldwide church. As you heard this morning, a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Where God just continued with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he just chased the nations out like this. God reverses that. And he brings the nations in. So that there's going to be a church throughout the whole world. How is that possible? How was it possible that you and I became Christians? How is it possible that you and I continue to remain Christians with our ups and our downs? It's only possible because of the Holy Spirit who continues to bear witness to who Jesus really is. Through the preaching, through the reading of the scriptures, through your own soul, in your own heart, we are constantly convicted of who Jesus is, of righteousness. And of judgment. But in addition to comfort. I think we can say this is also written as a challenge. It wasn't going to be easy. For Jesus disciples. To be witnesses. As they persecuted me. Jesus said. They will persecute you. And that's not funny. And we know that the original word for witness, we get our word martyr from that, martyr. And most of the apostles died a martyr's death in God's lawsuit with the world about who Jesus was. Because of their faithfully bearing witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a challenge to the apostles to faithfully do what the Lord Jesus had called them to do. As the Father has sent me into the world, so I send you into the world as well. And as it was a challenge for them, so it is a challenge for me and for you too. And you know the challenge is different for us than it was for the apostles. We're not being sent into a world that is hating us, is persecuting us. The danger for us is really complacency. I mean, look at us all here. I mean, look at this church building. Look at the pews you're sitting in. The new pipe organ. Beautiful. Look at the homes you live in. Look at the money we may have in the bank. And we're called to be witnesses in God's lawsuit with the world. It's a challenge for us. How important is that for me? And how important is it for you? It's a little test. How often do you think about being God's witness? Think about that. How often do you and I talk about being God's witness when we get together? How often do we Pray about being faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. And when we complain about things, how often do we complain about the fact that we missed an opportunity to bear witness to Jesus? You see, if something is important for us, well, think about it. We'll talk about it, and we'll pray for it, and we'll even complain about it, if it doesn't happen, because it's so important for us. May the Holy Spirit comfort you all, and may also challenge us all on this great day of Pentecost. Amen.